It's not a fancy podium. Um, but we might put her to the test tonight because one of the legs is bent down there. And, uh, and little will tell you I'm really good at breaking stuff um, in the most inopportune times. So I'm going to try to lean on it. Um, also, it's the seventh sermon I've preached this weekend. So hopefully it will be coherent. This morning I preached, I had to dress up. You might notice I'm wearing a fancy shirt tonight. Um, thank the Lord I had some jeans in my truck that I could put on before I came with you knuckleheads. All right, so, um, uh, so I'm excited to be here. This is home, you know, like this. I, I've been on the road a bunch this weekend, and, man, I'm just, this is the one I've been most looking forward to because you're, we're family, you know, and, and I just appreciate this church. And uh, so I want to, before we jump into um, the text in Genesis 15, there's one thing that I want to piggyback on what Spencer was saying, and, and the reason I want to do it is this. A church that is theologically grounded is a church that is, is secure from cultural winds and waves of, of doctrine and change. And so like, like uh, this week, a close friend of mine uh, sent me a, a write-up on the First Baptist Church of Orlando. I've actually spoken in that church. Zach and I ministered in that church, and they've come out with a pro-progressive LGBTQ stance. Uh, I was One of the events I was at this weekend was uh, a men's event in the United Methodist denomination, which right now they're, they're ramping up for a dogfight to uh, preserve the historic teachings of the denomination. It's probably going to fragment. And we don't have to look far to see that right now there's doctrinal upheaval within the church, but more importantly, what's on the outside is creeping in and trying to change what God has determined to be truth. And when, when we go through books of the Bible the way that we do, and we say, hey, for corporate prayer tonight, we're going to talk about the covenants, I, I want, it might be easy for you to kind of go into like, oh, man, this, this feels like a seminary class or something. But churches that are, are, are ironclad guarded by the integrity of the approach to how we study Scripture are churches that will weather every cultural or societal storm. And we'll be standing when it's, when it's done. We will be the ship of Zion that's sailing on the ocean of this dark world. And so it's critical that we, that we handle stuff like this. So one more thing, don't check out. Then we're going to get to a crazy story. This story's awesome in this text tonight. Um, that story two weeks ago that Rob told was crazy. When Abraham and his, like, like that sounded like a rap band in the, in the, the Abraham Militia. I thought, was it 318 guys? I thought that would be a cool rap band, like hip-hop, Christian hip-hop band. The 318 Militia. Somebody needs to, somebody needs to roll with that because that story was crazy, man. It's like Abraham and these 318 dudes, and that story was wild, wasn't it? That story was outstanding. And then Rob took us, took us deep, and then it was incredibly rich. And, and so tonight's story is like that. It's just crazy. And if you just read, if you read through the Bible, you'll come to these places that if you don't pause and, and, and go deep, it's like, man, what in the world is going on? There's a flaming fire pot, and there's animals getting cut in half tonight, and the sacrificial system is not even in place yet. And so there's one other thing I want you to know before we go into this. Actually, two other things. Um, we talked about the covenants. There's two big schools of theological thought in, in evangelical Christianity that are, that are held to. Probably even within this church, there are people that would, would hold to one or the other and, and disagree on this. And there are times where we can disagree on things and be on the same team. 
what Spencer walked us through was an overview of the covenants, but there is a, there is a school of theology called covenant theology. Have you ever heard of that? Covenant theology is the idea that God has ordered history in the, according to these big covenants. So the, the, like the covenant theologian would say, the covenant of works that happened in the garden, that's the first covenant. And then you, we sort of segment history according to these covenants that we saw on the board. And we're living now into the final covenant, which is the covenant of grace. The other school of thought is called dispensationalism. Okay, We have people in this church that would hold to both of these. Dispensationalism says that God has ordered history in blocks of time or ages. And it will be like there was one age prior to the flood where God was doing a certain work. And so rather than looking at these covenants, we'll look at these different ages. I'm not going to get into it. You can study that on your own if you want to. We don't take a hard stance on either one of those. Um, as far as how we teach it. But I just want you to understand that because you're going to hear some things where you're going to go, ah, man, I remember this guy saying one time that the covenant was this or that the church at Ephesus was represented by this particular dispensation. The, the bottom line tonight is that we're living under the final covenant that God has made with man, and that's the, the covenant of Jesus' blood. That's what we want to hold on to. That's where we'll end. Okay, one other thing. We're going to see in the text tonight a theophany. And a theophany is when God in the Old Testament would appear to people, and typically he would appear in fire or flame or bright light. Think about the people of Israel when they're going through the desert, and God would appear by what? A pillar of fire. Remember that? Or what's another fire moment? Moses at the bush. Exodus 3. We studied Exodus a while ago. So these theophanies are these moments where God would come and he would speak to people. Okay, but we are, again, living in a unique time where the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is the final prophet through whom the Lord has spoken. And so what we have, doesn't mean that God doesn't do unique things in the way that he might appear to people and speak to people. And, and we believe that in, especially in other parts of the world right now, I was talking to Greg this week, man, he was, when, when he came back from South Sudan, it's like visions, dreams, they're happening. Um, but these theophanies are very rare, even in scripture. You look at the whole history of the Old Testament covering thousands and thousands and thousands of years, God appears uniquely um, to people through these theophanies. Very, it's not very often. And what we see as we progress through history is that God is revealing more and more of himself to people through these covenants and through the establishment of Israel as a nation that's going to be talked about tonight. So with that, let's, everybody good? All right, let's get into this story because it's kind of a crazy story. Um, so Genesis chapter 15, we start in verse 7, picking up where we left off last night. Let's, let's start in verse 1. It's just six verses last week, um, and I think that will help us in the context. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, I'm your great shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Hey, we're going to show that video at the end. Sorry. We've got a cool video. Okay. Um, <laughs> I jumped up here. Uh, and, and 
preempted the video. Okay, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So there's the moment, the most pivotal verse in all of the Bible. Salvation comes through faith in Christ alone, right? And then God gives us righteousness. It's not a salvation of works, and so you don't earn God's favor. And so Abraham, So at this point, we are confident of a couple of things going into this text tonight. Abraham is a Christ follower. He's following Yahweh. He's a, he, he is following the God of what will become Israel, the God of Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. He's, he's, he's in. He's, the righteousness of God has been given to him by faith. He is now walking with the Lord. And so that's important to understand because he's going to ask some questions here that we want to we recognize the context that he's asking them in. All right, so verse 7. Let's start with 7 through 11. And he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer. Okay, listen to this. I don't know if you've read ahead, but this is crazy. This will spin you out if you don't really drill into what's going on here. Bring me a heifer three years old. A heifer, now listen, a heifer is a female cow that has not been bred, okay? And that's, that's specific. That'll come into play later in the, uh, when God starts to give the law to Moses. What's unique about this, this just dawned on me is no, no farmer waits till a heifer's three years old to have her bred because she's a profitable animal. So she's going to have a calf a year as soon as she's old enough. This is an, he's saying, take an animal that's set apart for religious practice. Okay, so go get this. This is very specific what he's telling him. A female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, and he brought him all of these cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So what in the world is going on? Well, what God's doing is, you see right there in verse 8 where Abram said, Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? God made, we saw last week, God made a promise with Abram. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you these people, number like the stars in the sky. Later, he'll tell Abram's son, Jacob, he, uh, his grandson, Jacob, instead of using the stars, he uses the sand. He's like number like the grain of sands on the oceans, uh, like, like, you know, like, like this huge amount of posterity. He's made this promise. And then Abram says in verse 8, how can I know? What Abram's asking for is assurance. And I want you to understand that as a believer, it's okay to ask God for assurance. We've been given the assurance of faith, the assurance of grace, the assurance of forgiveness. And God, there are times when you're on shaky legs, spiritually speaking, where you're going to need to lean in and ask for some assurance. We need to open the, maybe you're in a stage or a season right now where it's not that your faith is gone. Abram's a man of faith. It's already been counted to him as righteousness. When God does that, that doesn't get undone. And so you've got this moment where he's asking for, an assurance, for assurance. To this point, God has made a promise, but now what God's going to do is wrap that promise in a covenant. The covenant is going to provide the assurance to the promise that God has made to Abraham. I'm going to call him Abraham. It's Abram still, but y'all, y'all know what I'm saying. It's going to change later. Think of this. Think of the promise as, imagine you go to, have you, have you ever received a package in the mail and you recognize that it's really, the package is really attractive? Like, man, they, they really put time into this. You ever done that? It's like, man, it's really good packaging. That's a big thing now, especially with, 
you know, so much of, of what people buy coming through the mail, through Amazon and stuff like that. So how something's packaged is important. Imagine you go to the grocery store. I like green beans. I like Sam Mabry green beans. If you've ever eaten Sam Mabry green beans, you've eaten as much butter and bacon as you have bean. All right. So, and that's the way it ought to be right there. And so imagine you go to the grocery store, all right. And they, and you're like, I want to give me some green beans. And you go to the green beans and it's just a big old mound of green beans in the floor. And then on the shelf, they got all the little cans and you got to get your own can and stuff those green beans in it. It's not packaged. You're having to package. What a covenant is, is God's taking something that's good, a promise, and he's wrapping it in something that we can grab a hold of and pull assurance from. Think of a covenant like that. It's to provide assurance for the believer. So in the gospel, the assurance of our faith is not in, did I say the prayer right? Did I go to church enough times? Did I get baptized, you know, uh, like, like, like by the right person or in the right denomination? The, the assurance is in what Jesus has done, not in what you've done. So the covenant of Jesus' blood is to give us a continued, a continual and continuing constant assurance of our faith. And so he's, what God's doing is he's setting Abraham up here to receive assurance as Abraham's asking this question. How am I to know this? So the blood of the, of the animals is what he's going to seal this covenant with. You're going to see these gospel parallels where the blood of the covenant that Jesus has shed for us seals our salvation, Right? The covenant and the process is to give that assurance. Now, um, we know that Abraham is a man of faith, and so what we're dealing with here is assurance through the covenant of the promise that Abraham has asked God to give him the assurance of or for. So what's the deal then with cutting the animals up? Sit tight. We're going to get to that in just a minute. The birds of prey sweep down and swoop down in verse 11. I think uh, the birds are unclean animals. There's just, just kind of this, I think right there, what you're seeing is this time lapse because a day has passed. God has come. If you go back to uh, um, the, the first six verses that we looked at, we see that God has come to Abraham in this um, dream or this vision. And so now Abraham spends, most theologians think, probably the most of the day cutting these animals up. This is a pretty big deal to do this, pretty big process. And so we get to verse 12, and it says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So let's, uh, let's, let's take those five verses. At sunset, a deep sleep, dreadful and great darkness. The buzzards are swarming the carcass, the carcasses of these animals. If, we could, if I could help you understand, the, 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 get a visual of how these animals would be laid out, it would be that he cuts them in half, and the two halves are then set aside. He cuts the heifer in half, sets the halves aside, the goat in half, sets them aside, and so on and so forth. So you've got the halves of these animals, and what would be literally paving the ground between them would be the blood of those animals. 
So that's the scene. And then Abram goes over and he sits down and the, you know, the buzzards are coming down trying to take these unclean birds and he's fighting them off and then sun starts to go down and he goes into this deep sleep. It's an intense moment. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. There's the theophany, the theophany. Smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, now here comes the covenant. Here comes the, the, the assurance, the wrapping of the promise. To your offspring I give to this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So the sun goes down, uh, verses 1 through 6, took place at night. Abraham has spent the entire day preparing the animals, then waiting for nightfall. And then we've got at dark this theophany. The Lord, the Lord appears as fire. He would, he would later do this at the burning bush with Moses. And then on the mount uh, of the law with Moses, he would appear in, in a similar way. You've got this appearing of the Lord. The Lord alone passes between the animal parts. Though so look at um, verse uh, 17, when the sun had gone, gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between those pieces. Where is Abram when this happens? He's, he's out. God put him out, right? So what's the significance? Okay, the significance is in that day, this is before the law was given to Moses. And, and hundreds of years later, when the law is given to Moses, with the law comes the sacrificial system of how they're going to kill animals, sacrifices. So this is before that. So what, what this is, is this, there was a cultural practice that when you're ratifying, so like if you're going to ratify a covenant, you buy a vehicle, right? You can buy a car, you get a title. You can't just handshake and take that title and drive off. What do you got to do with that title? Get it? notarized right you gotta go get it notarized you're gonna get married um you go i knew this guy one time and went to his wedding and about a month later they split up and a month maybe three weeks and i was like oh man that's crazy and i'm talking to him and he's like well, we didn't really get married we never actually went to the courthouse and got the right documentation right so so the, yeah it didn't really count in the government's eyes why because it wasn't ratified legally okay it counted in god's eyes that's another conversation but i'm saying that ratification process is where we take a contract and bind both parties to the contract. In some cultures, that was a handshake. In certain Old Testament cultures, they would exchange sandals, right? This, it, was a, it was a ratifying or a binding of the contract. What typically would happen is the two people entering into the contract would kill an animal, lay the animal out, and then they would pass through together over the blood between the two animal halves. Y'all tracking with me? And what they're saying is, we're, we're binding this contract in blood, we're ratifying it in, in blood, and if, if I break this contract, what has happened to these animals, may it happen to me. It was a strong, bold statement. It's like saying, may, may this also be what happens to me if I get out of this contract. It's a really strong thing. What God's doing, now watch this, this is explosive. The last 10 minutes are like, like this God is going through the animal halves by himself because what he's saying is you have no part in ratifying this covenant because you bring nothing to this relationship I'm saving you by grace I'm, I'm doing this good work 
and you are simply the recipient. This is, pre, this is a, a foreshadowing of the gospel. This is a really intense moment. In Jeremiah 34, there's, there's a, another scene where something similar happens where we see the animals divided like this. And what happens there is uh, there's, uh, there's these uh, Israelites, these, these Jewish folks, and they've got these slaves and they set these slaves free. The reason they set them free is because the invading army is about to attack. And they're like, we got we to gotta turn these slaves loose. And, and there's a lot going on in the story where they're supposed to release them anyway. And they're, they're trying to work an angle where they can keep their, you know, them as their property. They finally enter into a contract to free these slaves. So they, they cut the animal in half and they go through and they make this contract and they let the slaves go. Then they, uh, they don't fall to the invading army. And so they're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Okay, we, we won our freedom. We didn't fall. So wait a minute, time out. You're still our slaves. We're going to go back on our word. And God comes in and brings judgment and casts judgment on them and says, what happened to those animals is what's going to happen to you. Essentially saying, not necessarily you're going to be cut in half, but your life is going to be required of you because you've walked back on the covenant. Now, there's a point in the book of Hebrews, you will see we constantly go to Hebrews in these stories because there's a point in the book of Hebrews where we are warned that we not trample underfoot the blood of the covenant that sanctifies us. And in so doing, insult the spirit of grace. So God has graciously saved us. And then he said, but don't take that salvation and make a mockery of the blood of Jesus, but live in obedience and submission to Christ. And so got this covenant and blood terminology throughout the scripture. But here's what I really want to get to. This is the main idea that I want to drive home. Let me first uh, let, let, me, let me read one thing, and then I want to read a quote from a commentary. Don't miss what God is doing here. He is essentially embracing the consequences of what would happen if he broke the covenant. He is showing us how deep his commitment to the covenant goes. Davis comments, uh, he's, a, he's a commentator, and he says this, here, Yahweh stoops to this covenant curse ceremony in living color. Yahweh is saying that he would rather destroy himself than prove unfaithful to his people. Genesis 15 packs a remarkable revelation for us. God himself is willing to suffer the curse of the covenant. We know that God actually did that. He himself literally would ultimately suffer the curse of the covenant that he would make with us at Calvary. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law when he became a curse for us. We are covenant breakers. We have sinned against God. We would stand in judgment. But the beauty of the gospel is that God not only takes our curse upon himself, but he suffers the consequences of our sins. And our curse is destroyed under judgment and condemnation because of our covenant breaking. This is the good news of the gospel. God passing over the blood of the animals and pointing us to Jesus who would ultimately single-handedly without our agreement or approval or partnership bring us into the covenant that's ratified in his own blood. It's the gospel. Listen to how Paul describes this to the Romans in Romans chapter 3. But, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. 
although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, not the blood of an animal, but by the blood of Jesus. It's a greater covenant. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So what he's saying is, Jesus has justified us by passing over our sins, by shedding his own blood as the one who's paying the penalty for our sin as lawbreakers. So let's consider four observations of application, you might say, uh, from the text as our final encouraging reminder of the covenant of what God's doing in uh, Genesis 15. Number one, this. True faith is granted welcome assurance through the covenant. Covenant wraps the promise formally from God as the sovereign creator and Lord. The Lord is so gracious and long-suffering with us, and he doesn't belittle us or demean us when we struggle with being uh, lacking confident or being confident of his promises. He will go to great lengths and has done so to help us trust him more. This simply put, listen, y'all, the scripture says, If we ask God for wisdom and faith, greater faith, he'll give it to us. You're struggling with assurance. You're wrestling with doubt. Ask God to give you the assurance of faith. And he'll do that. Press into the Lord. You're wrestling with like, you're anxious over your salvation. I don't know if I said the prayer. I don't know if I'm really saved. Let me tell you something. If you're doubting your salvation and you care about it, that's a good indicator that you're a child of God. Because what the enemy would desire for you to have is a false assurance. How many times you met somebody, talked to somebody that you that's lost, and you're like, not worried about it. They're not lost. People don't doubt their their, lost people don't doubt their lack of salvation, right? Doubt is something that the believer wrestles with. Ask God for assurance. Remember that man. His son is like he's so desperate for his son's healing, and he's like, God, please. He says to Jesus, I Jesus, like I believe. Like if you believe, we can we can do this thing. And he's like, I believe, but I help my unbelief. Abraham's saying, I believe, and you've given me righteousness, the obedience of righteousness, but help my unbelief. Is unbelief, like is doubt a reality for us? Sure it is. Like sometimes it's just unstable. I mean, seeing this God given assurance, and God will give us assurance. And for us, the best assurance is to look to the cross. Look to what Jesus has done. Look to what Christ has done and receive the assurance of your salvation. The second thing that we learn is there in verses 13 through 16, the Lord, the Lord makes clear that the unfolding of his plans and promises will sometimes take a long time. The fulfillment doesn't come quickly. He, in fact, he, he, he prophesies hundreds of years before the fulfillment will, will come. We tend to desire quick results, but the Lord doesn't operate on our timelines. Ever learn that lesson? That one's no fun. Lord, you ever pray this prayer and then wish you hadn't enough? God, just make me more patient. Don't. You know, like a couple of trials and tribulations later, you're like, I'm never praying that again. That was so stupid. Oh, man. Yeah, sometimes we're like, come on, God. Like, we want it, we want it on our timeline. 
Think of all that would happen before the seed of Abram, Abraham gave way to the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, hundreds of years later. Later, Or think of all the time that would pass before David would be established as king. How much more would happen before the final and ultimate covering of the blood of the Messiah would bring salvation to the world, making a way for we as Gentiles to be blessed as the Lord had promised to Abraham. We're sons of Abraham, grafted in. You know, like we're brought into this new covenant, not because of our nationality, but because of who Christ is. Number three, Third observation, we learn that God is sovereign over the affairs of kings and nations. I want to point that out there in verse 16. He says, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to fulfill this, this covenant. I'm going to make you the father of, of great and mighty people. And then from that great and mighty people, all of the earth is going to be blessed. But here's the thing that you need to know. It's going to take some time for this to unfold. And one of the markers will be when the time of the Amorites disobedience is fulfilled and God's saying this is real specific prophecy where he's saying I'm going to judge the Amorite people because of their the way that they've chosen to live I think like if you've watched the heartbreaking story unfold of the last 72 hours of what's going on in the Ukraine and you feel I watched uh, Hank sent me a video of some someone that is in his family who had been over there a couple of months ago and it's a household full of believers singing he will hold me fast ukrainian ukrainian believers and there's these reports coming out of there saying don't worry about us the church will flourish russian christians saying the church flourished for 60 years under the uh, behind the iron curtain we will flourish christ will hold us fast but here's what we do know god is always going to bring about sovereign judgment on the affairs of people the amorites face judgment the Russians will face judgment, the United States of America, right? But those of us that are under the blood of the new covenant, which is the blood of Christ, for us, we don't face judgment the same way. Romans 8.1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been set free from the, from the judgment that we would come under for our own sin. And fourth, the final thing, we see the depth of God's commitment. He alone takes responsibility for the covenant, even upon the oath of his own demise and destruction if he doesn't fulfill the covenant. And don't miss this. Like, as, as God passes in this flame and fire pot, as he passes over this blood, he is saying, if I don't fulfill my covenant, which is ultimately going to be fulfilled in Christ, if I don't become one of you, go to the cross and die in your place for your sin paying the penalty for your sin. If I don't do that, then may what has happened here happen to me. So it's, 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 it's one of those statements that has so much gravity. And I want to go back to Jeremiah 33 to see the prophecy of the covenant of Jesus' grace that would one day be ratified in his blood. And I want to close with this, Jeremiah chapter 33, beginning in verse 14. This is the Lord's, this is the Lord's eternal covenant with the house of David. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Who's the righteous branch, church? In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus, listen to the, I want you to listen to the beauty of this passage of scripture, recognizing that we receive the promises of the covenant that Jesus has made, the covenant of grace and his blood. 
Verse 17, for thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night will not come at their appointed time. Then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. And my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers, as the hosts of heaven cannot be numbered and the sands of the seas cannot be measured. So I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priests who minister to me. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you not observed that, what these, that these people are saying? The Lord has rejected us. Verse 25, thus says the Lord, if I have not established my covenant with day and night and fixed the order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and David, my servant, and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will restore their fortunes and will have mercy on them. He's assuring his people of his promises. The word of the Lord is faithful and true. His promises to us are faithful and true, and we can rest assured that what God says, that's what he's going to do. And we've, we've got a new law that is written on our hearts because of the covenant in the blood of Jesus. And so with that, we can be thankful, we can be grateful, we can worship in spirit and in truth. And if God would pass over the blood of those animals, how much better is the blood of Jesus? Galatians chapter 3 saying that for, for us, he became a curse. He, he, he came under the curse of our covenant breaking because of his grace and his kindness. He's given us salvation. It's not of works, so we can't boast, but it's because of his kindness to us. Amen? I'm going to pray and we're going to watch a really cool portray, dramatic portrayal of this. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, as, we, as we focus on this visual portrayal of what has happened in this text tonight, and as we try to wrap our brains and our minds and our imaginations around what you've done, I pray that you would give us assurance and confidence in, in your ability to not only save us but to keep us. Lord, I pray that, um, that we would live recognizing the assurance of faith that we've received through your blood, through the shedding of your blood, and that we would live as, as sons and daughters who are adopted into your family we're children of God and Lord if there's someone here tonight that doesn't have a relationship with you who hasn't been saved by the power of the gospel who hasn't surrendered to Jesus through um, the 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 work of the cross and what you've done I pray that tonight you would draw them to yourself and that they would hear the truth of the gospel and receive what you alone can provide in Jesus name we pray amen